today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Uh, some clips for you. Uh, this is from the first one is from Alberta's NDP government uh, leader, Rachel Notley, Premier of Alberta. Uh, says employment, unemployment uh, has been decreasing. Alberta is slowly uh, trying to get p- uh, past the crisis that they're in, but they believe that they're going to have to uh, cut production in order to save jobs. Our best guess is that this that this intervention uh, will provide the kind of predictability and stability uh, to um, industry players to allow them to keep people on because they can see a light at the end of the tunnel. And here's what United Conservative Party leader Jason Kenney had to say about the production cut. I had an hour-long conversation with uh, her envoys on this issue last week, uh, and I think this is an important demonstration of how we can work across party lines on an issue that relates to the vital economic interests of Alberta. All right, let's bring in Dan McTagg, former Liberal MP, consumer affairs critic, analystgasbuddy.com. He's with us now. I guess no surprises here, Dan? No, and when you see uh, people with very divergent political views coming together on something like this, I mean, there really aren't many options for Alberta. Um, You either uh, jump in the briar patch or you get devoured by the wolves. course this means that uh, for that province and the effect it has on other provinces in terms of finances uh, there really wasn't much choice and it was as I think you and I spoke about this last uh, Thursday and Friday that there would be the second uh, shoe to fall yes increasing rail traffic but also the need to curtail the amount of oil that is being produced otherwise you would continue to see oil given away for less than a couple of cases of pop. What wow! What message does this send to everybody? What message does this send to oil producers? Let's start there. Well, I think for oil producers, it means that everyone's going to have to share the pain uh, in order to at least uh, provide some semblance of of pricing that uh, might allow them to meet certain payrolls. But that's really the extent of it. It's it's not a, a good news story. It's a, a desperate move under very trying circumstances. So. I think for producers, it uh, it means that tough times lie ahead until uh, we get through this major problem, which is the singular biggest reason why we're seeing, uh, you know, the uh, curtailment of production uh, is because we don't have the capacity to get it to any market. You you said an interesting point. Until we get through this problem, how do we get through this problem? I mean, is, are, are we now too deep into it? I mean, is there any short-term solution here? Does this speed up pipelines? Well, it won't speed up pipelines. It's clear, though, that uh, in the future, even if pipelines are approved, governments will have to continue to build their rail infrastructure no matter what, because we, we you know building one pipeline won't be enough in four years from now. Um, but the fact is, I think the federal government is going to have to uh, really put uh, its its final line in the sand that this is this is it. So what message, we, we talked about the message this sends to producers, what message does this send to the Prime Minister? Well, it sends to the Prime Minister, it's a desperate situation, part of it of your own making. Uh, you know, I can't give advice to the Prime Minister. Had I been asked to do so, I would have simply said, in the case of the uh, reversal of the Trans Mountain decision or the moratorium placed on a lower court judge, I would simply ignore it, set it aside, gone to the Supreme Court, waited the two years to do it, and continue to build the pipeline. Uh, to my to my knowledge, uh, the federal government has every responsibility and every right and every authority to build pipelines in this country. If it doesn't, then we have a very, very, very serious constitutional problem on our hands, because if it can be upset by the trivial 
on the side of, you know, you're not being consulted enough, you're ruining a nation based on frivolities. And I, I got to say, the interests of the many, the vast many, come before the interests of the select few, who whose only interest is to vandalize and damage Canada's energy sector because they can't do it in any other country. So this puts absolutely no pressure on Trudeau to speed up any of this, any of the pipeline discussion. I mean, obviously, it's to the point where, uh, you know, we're overflowing here. It's bubbling over the tub. Is anybody going to pick up a mop and do anything here? Or No, he's more interested in putting a carbon tax on everybody uh, come uh, January 1st. I mean, the fact is Alberta has had a carbon tax for a couple of years now. It's capped emissions. It's cut down coal. Uh, it's producing some of the cleanest oil. Uh, the re- remediation process is like anywhere in the world. It gets no credit for any of this. It doesn't even get the courtesy of uh, the federal government saying, uh, yeah, you've done your due diligence and then some. Uh, this is a federal government that won't stand up for energy resources. It, it talks a good game, but it doesn't act in a way that is resolved to ensuring that this uh, problem with pipelines uh, is 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 made uh, uh, is, is made fast and is made efficient. I would think that if you're going to get one pipeline blocked, then the prime minister should be duty bound to saying, "All right, we're reopening Energy East if anybody wants it, and we're going to reopen the Northern Gateway. We're going to try five because we know you're going to knock down most of them. We might as well open up a wider plane of pipeline options that I think one is going to get through sooner or later, rather than putting all your eggs in one basket with predictable outcomes, costing you and I four point five billion bucks." for a pipeline that doesn't exist. So how does this problem rectify itself? So production's now been cut. How long for that to take effect? What what does that mean over the next year? 30 days before that takes effect. And of course, uh, the 2019 looks like it's the cap for the entire year. We'll see what happens at the end of that. But, you know, it's uh, there's really not much else that uh, that can be said about what is being proposed. It has to do with realizing that uh, Alberta is producing at least 200,000 barrels more a day than it can possibly ship. In fact, as I mentioned last week when you and I did this interview, uh, 200, uh, we have a 50 million barrel capacity in storage. That was added in the past year or so. That too has come to its uh, full capacity. I mean, we can't store any more oil. So this is uh, a necessary move. Otherwise, uh, I don't know what you would do with the oil you're producing day in, day out. You can't turn these machines off easily as well. It's going to take a month or two. Uh, but I think the, the mandate uh, by the government is really one of saying you've got 30 days to start you know, drawing back, sh- closing your production. Obviously, it's going to have an effect on jobs, but it may actually have the positive effect of at least rescuing and getting this uh, product sold for maybe $25 a barrel, while at the same time, not doing undue damage to the other oil, which is the sweet light crudes, which we're selling at a half, uh, you know, 50% discount. Everyone's getting 50, 52 bucks a barrel for WTI oil. We were getting for our best oil, no more than 25.25. So how long to get through this backlog? Oh, uh, probably two months, three months before uh, they can actually, uh, you know, see the light of you know, at the end of the tunnel. Right. Perhaps there'll be more uh, rail up by that point. I don't think it'll happen that quickly. But this, but this obviously slows or will slow production. So what does that send to to the oil business? I mean, if you're an investor in this, I mean, oh, yeah. you're just standing well, there with your hands in your pockets. Yeah, you're you're looking at brand new Fort Hills. Uh, uh, Imperials made a decision to uh, to to build another one. It looks like uh, you're going to have to put everything on hold and uh, wait until this thing recovers. Because even if it goes to seventy bucks a barrel for world oil. 
as we saw in the summer, we're still getting 10, 15 bucks for WCS and lower for other, or, uh, you know, other oils are affected. Other blends of crude are also affected in Canada simply because of the same problem, the pipeline constraints. Um, I guess some positive things that will come of this, though, Scott, is line three Enbridge, which was approved to be rebuilt, the same line, should be coming online by the end of 2019. Uh, we'll probably also see some headway uh, in terms of additional amounts of uh, crude moving by rail. But for now, it looks like uh, these low prices, low investments or no investments and loss of jobs will continue to really take a tally on an already depleted Alberta market. A uh, listener asks, why doesn't the government put money into turning Churchill, Manitoba into a shipping port for our oil? I mean, that's that's a, a good question, but I mean half the year that uh, port is not yeah you can't get to it i mean you have some difficulties getting product in and out of there it's it's not the 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 best location you also need to build ports and facilities much easier to restart the energy east pipeline because most of that pipeline is already built into ontario and since the uh, provincial government has made it very clear that they are on board to getting pipelines built perhaps a better idea might be to get it down to any one of the wharves. You have one right there in Hamilton, that Montank, I guess they call it, uh, they have Volpac is now another name they use. Or we could use any one of the, uh, I'm thinking one Cornwall, wharves that were used by independents. Those could be rehabilitated. Or better yet, ship them to Ontario and then by rail across Quebec right into the Maritimes. Uh, they can't stop a rail shipment in, through Quebec. How far has this industry fallen behind? Uh, well, I mean, the price says everything. And on price alone, it is the cheapest priced oil in the world, uh, no matter what our... And that's all because our oil is, and, and let's ma- emphasize this, the, the whole reason our price of oil is so low is because there's a large surplus of it because we're producing more than we can get, than we can ship out because we can't distribute it. That's right. And we are making more oil on the uh, the solid due diligence and on firm uh, understanding that regulatory authority gave permission to new pipelines, especially Trans Mountain. And it was based on that that uh, increases took place. Of course, those increases were years in the making. But if pipelines, uh, at the end of five years of negotiation and wrangling, still we don't see one inch of pipe put into the ground, then you know that you have a far more serious problem. It's that you cannot rely on Canada's system of authority, uh, permit-letting, and regulation, it isn't worth the paper it's written on. What would be the Prime Minister's reaction to Alberta curbing its production? How could how would he view that? How could that be viewed as positive? I, you'd have to ask him. I would expect that uh, it's just another, you know, a fine example of what happens when uh, your authority is, uh, is, is whipsawed and you give conflicting signals to um, to appease groups that want to, you know, destroy Canada's energy sector, while at the same time talking a good talk about uh, getting Canadian oil to market. I mean, he's, you can't, it's major fence setting. And what happens, you often wind up with slivers in the wrong place when you do that. <laughs> uh, what is the future of Alberta? What is the future of this industry there? Well, I think for now, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, grim. Uh, I think it's uh, it's it's not going to be moving ahead anytime soon, um, but I think things will begin to change, and I think it's going to, unfortunately, be a, a matter that will be resolved uh, at the polls, both uh, provincially uh, in March, April in their election, 
and ultimately um, next uh, next October uh, when we have the federal election. I think those two will set in, in motion where the country is at a crossroads or where the country is going to be able to get its act together. But I don't think it's in anyone's interest to see Canada's en- energy industry completely and utterly uh, you know, uh, destroyed. And in the catastrophic state it finds itself in now, uh, is not helpful to any Canadian, and there is no positive to this. Uh, some people may find it gleeful in celebration, but I think that's really fringe mentality that, uh, unfortunately, has no place in Canada. It's interesting how, the, excuse me, for the West, yeah. for the West, it's the oil industry. Here, it's all about GM and manufacturing, and 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 neither one seems to be listening to the other one. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think there's more attention being paid to this now, Scott. Uh, but I mean, twenty certainly with this jobs. announcement. Yeah, well, <laughs> twenty five hundred jobs uh, in Ontario is a is a drop in the bucket compared to the devastation that has taken place out west. But I put it a different way: what's your biggest uh, export? Your biggest exports oil, not automotive. Automotive does seem to come close to it, um, and of course, it would be a little bit like saying here in Ontario, well, uh, you know, maybe we should. Uh, we should uh, think nothing of the fact that you know we can sell our steel at 10% on the on the dollar or our, our automotive at 20% on the dollar. How long do you think you would do, you you'd be able to maintain your economic momentum? The fact is you wouldn't. And so you know I think we have to look at the fact that we are a diverse nation with very uh, diverse economic uh, outcomes, and it's always in everyone's interest to make sure your piggies get to market, you get your resources to market. Because people want to buy Canadian products, regardless of the price, they know that there's also something good to, to them. I mean, it comes with doesn't come with the baggage of you know of human rights violations. It doesn't come with baggage of environmental uh, degradation. It comes with uh, you know a nation that uh, that is very conscientious about what it's selling and what it's producing. But we are only doing ourselves harm by allowing this to happen, and again, allowing one particular narrative in this country to dominate to the detriment of all of us. It is very odd. Dan McTagg, thank you so much for the time, as always. Former Liberal MP and Consumer Affairs critic, AnalystGasBuddy.com. Dan, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Great to be here. Thanks again, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.